Why don't you bow with me as we pray together? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath done. Father, that's exactly what we have done today and it's what we want to now continue to do as we turn our eyes upon you, as we hear you speak through your word. We ask that you would speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, if you have your Bibles with you, and, uh, or if you want to use one of those ones that are in the chair racks in front of you, please turn to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5 and 6. We're going to be looking at both those chapters today, mostly in chapter 6. But I want to start reading at the end of chapter 5 and verse 22. Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. Follow along as I read the word of the Lord. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. So reads the word of God. Thankful for God's will. Seven times in those words I just read, God starts off a sentence with the words, I will. And all of that in response to Moses accusing God, saying, you have not, you have not. Here Moses, here's Moses talking to God and saying, you have not. And God coming to him and saying, I will. Now, if we were to think of this as a a regular conversation between two people, it actually sounds like we're jumping into the middle of a conversation that started with a promise, right? I promise to do so-and-so. But that promise to do something has not been delivered yet. So what comes next? 
What do we do when the postal service doesn't deliver our package on time? We complain. And that's what you hear here, a complaint. You have not done whatever what was promised. And then we might hear a response to that complaint. I will. In other words, be patient. I promise to deliver something and I will keep my promise. I am good for it. Trust me. And that's exactly what's going on here. God is telling Moses that he will keep his promise. And that promise is that God would deliver his people out of Egypt. He will rescue them from their oppression. He will liberate them from slavery. He will get them out of Egypt and deliver them into the promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey. God's original promise, the one that's not mentioned in the passage that I read, but happened way back in chapter 3. And we could also actually say it happened way back in, in, in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, when God made a promise and a covenant with Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 2, he says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. But even for Moses... It was back in Exodus chapter 3 when God talked to Moses. If you were here last week, you remember this. He spoke to him out of a burning bush, a bush that was burning but not burning. And, uh, and, and, and this is the, that first promise. You, you see it a few times in Exodus chapter 3. So you just might want to turn back there a little bit. Exodus chapter 3 verse 10. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you, will bring, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Or verse 12, he said, but I will be with you. Verse 17, I promise that I will bring you up out, of the, up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land, and skip to the end of there, a land flowing with milk and honey. And in verse 20 and verse 21, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. That was the promise. That was the original promise. And if anyone is ever good for a promise, 100% of the time, it is God. The God who said, I will, always will. He will make good on the promise. In his time, yes, but he will do it. So on this Thanksgiving Sunday, I want us to see these I will promises of God as a springboard to help us be thankful for God's will, God's I wills. As we travel the road that is our lives, a road that has its ups and has its downs, that has its peaks, that has its valleys, a road that has hidden corners, a road that is sometimes treacherous and other times smooth, a road that is often unpredictable, a road that has all kinds of surprises along the way. As we travel that road of our lives, it is important for us to know that if we are believers in God, if we are his people, if we are his children, it is important to know that the God who said, I will, can always, always be trusted to come through on his promises. And for that, we can and we must be thankful. If you are not a believer of God, you need to hear God's initial promise 
And then come to the place where you trust in the God that will come through on that promise. And that the God that comes down to rescue. The God that comes down to rescue all those who trust in his saving work. He will bring you up from your affliction. So this morning's message will be more of a, more of a meditation. Thinking about God's promises and then thanking him. That he is a promise keeping God. His I will for us has become he did. And for that, we should have an everlasting sense of gratitude and thankfulness. God has come through for us. He has come through for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is to be trusted. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, All the promises of God, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is because God came through with his promises in Christ that you can be rest assured that God will come through for you. So let's look at how God answers Moses. Let's look at how he answers Moses says, you have not. You've not done it. You've not done what you promised. And just to get our bearings in the book of Exodus a little bit, here's where we are in the story. In this great story that is the Exodus. God's people are in Egypt. Uh, the, the Egyptians, seeing that the Hebrews have been fruitful and have multiplied and have filled the land, start to see these people, this mass group of people, as a threat. They were getting too big and they were getting potentially too powerful. And so Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, decides it would be prudent to turn them into slaves. Into slaves of Egypt. Basically using this giant group of people to make bricks that would be used to build cities. They were brick makers. It was forced labor. It was a very hard labor. One historian describes it this way. He says, they worked out in the hot Egyptian sun all day, often in temperatures over 100 degrees, driven to optimum optimum production by their taskmasters. They had no hats to protect their heads, and they wore nothing but a brief kilt or apron on their bodies. One wealthy Egyptian father talked with his son about the condition of the brickmakers. He observed that their hands are torn to ribbons by the cruel work, and they have to knead all sorts of muck. Certainly no one stood stood by to give the workers a drink every few minutes. It doesn't take too much imagination to conclude that the severe rigor imposed on the Hebrews resulted in many of them dying of, of dehydration, heat prostration, heat stroke, and the like, end quote. So it was hard, forced labor under constant threat from their taskmasters that were standing there making sure they did what they were expected and demanded to do. And it was that situation that made this group of people cry out to God for help. God heard their cry, and he starts to raise up a, a reluctant Moses to be their leader to be their deliverer, or if you will, their rescuer, or their savior. But when we get to Exodus 5, an already bad situation for the Hebrew slave actually gets even worse. Where before, the Egyptians would would supply all the building material for the bricks, which partly was made up of straw that would help uh, hold the clay bricks together, Now, he commanded that they'd have to go and find all the straw by themselves as well. They'd have to supply their own building materials. 
And yet, they still required them to produce the same number of bricks. It was really an impossible equation. Same number of workers, extra work, yet same production expected. It was impossible, and they knew it. Exodus 5, verse 18, The Egyptians said, Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And then verse 19, The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. Those words, they were in trouble, highlight not only the impossibility of the situation, but really their sense of desperation at that point. And that desperate and helpless situation leads them then to go back to Moses and also to Aaron at that point. So, so this might sound kind of weird, but that's actually where we need to start if we want to expand and grow in our gratitude towards God. It's when we see our helplessness that we start to delight in God's graciousness. It's when we see our helplessness that we start to delight in God's graciousness. It's when we come to a point of desperation that we begin to long for God's intervention. For the people of Israel, their oppressive slavery to Egypt brought them back to Moses with their complaint. They started doubting that God would come through for them. That's what this is, isn't it? And so they come to Moses, and and Moses actually listens to them, and Moses then goes to God with the same complaint. First, he actually blames God. Did you notice that? You have done evil to this people. You've done evil to this people. And he ends with these words. Look again at the end of verse 23. You have not delivered your people at all. In other words, you have not kept your promises, God. You've not kept your promises. Promise something and you didn't deliver. Now, we have to recognize here that God would have been in his rights to to finish off Moses right there. That would have been righteous justice, right? For inferring that God would do evil. That God would not keep his word. But again, we see here a gracious God. Thankfully, God is gracious with us. He's patient with us. And we have to say he is so kind to us. that Even when we blurt out things that we know are not true, he's still kind. And so rather than discipline or chastise Moses here, although he does do that in other places, God here reiterates to Moses that he can be trusted. That he is good for his promises. One commentator on Exodus, Alex, Alec Motier, he says, God, God's absolute sovereignty never excuses our sin, but neither is he ever knocked off course by, by our sin. God is never knocked off course by our foolishness, by our sin, but rather works his purpose out even through it. That's the sovereign God that we have. So, Exodus 6, God speaks. The Lord And here we just remind ourselves that this is the the name Yahweh. This is the covenant God, the God who keeps promises. Whenever you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your Bibles, that's what this is referring to, the covenant God. And for our purposes here, the promise-keeping God said to Moses. And just even there, you see that God always enters into our doubts 
God always enters into our unbelief with his word. He will always enter into your doubts with his word. When you do have doubts, go to his word. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do. So let's stop there. There's the turning point for what's coming next. It's that word now. God will keep his promise in his time, and now is the time. It wasn't then, but it's now. He will deliver his people, and it's going to start right now. He says, you just wait until you see what I will do. Just wait. And so that's where I want to land on this Thanksgiving Sunday. God says, I will, seven times in this section, just between verses 6 and 8. But we can boil those seven down into four promises that God will carry out in Israel's deliverance from Egypt and in our deliverance from bondage of sin. So I apologize, there's no sermon notes today. But listen for these four promises if you want a little bit of an outline to to fill it in. So remember that Egypt is a symbol for where we are right now. That is, that Egypt is a symbol for the fact that we are not yet in the promised land. Egypt is a real place. Egypt is is, is still a country over in northern Africa, in the Middle East. I've never been there. I'm sure it's a nice place. But because of what happened here in Exodus, it acts as a symbol for for bondage, from which people need to be rescued. It's a symbol for the world. It's a symbol for sin. We are saved out of Egypt, as it were. Yet in some ways, we're, we're still in Egypt. We live and we move and we breathe in this world. We experience the reality and and the presence of sin, even though we have been saved from the power and the penalty of sin. And so it is with the promised land. If you are saved, you have tasted the milk and honey of salvation. You have experienced the promised land of fellowship with God through Christ. You've experienced the the, the blessing, the promised land of fellowship with God's people, with other believers. Yet, we are still waiting for the promised land, that is heaven, that is the eternal, unending presence with God. And so we could say, and we'd be right to say, that we live somewhere between Egypt and the promised land. But let us be thankful for God's promises, for God's I wills. And, and these here in chapter 6 are, at the beginning of chapter 6 at least, are bracketed by those amazing words from God that you can see there up in verse 2 and then down in verse 8. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. You can be comforted by God's self-identification. Like I said before, this name is God saying, I will keep my promises. How God identifies himself, he is in effect saying, I will keep my promises. Whatever circumstances we face, whatever questions we have about why this happened or why that happened or why what we think should have happened didn't, don't ever think that God is not faithful, that God has somehow somehow forgotten you, that God has taken his eyes off you. Don't ever think that God is not faithful over the circumstances of your life. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. The answer to all your questions is found in him. It's found in his name. It's found in his promises. It's found in his faithfulness to his promises. He will never leave you or forsake you. Trust in him. Obey him and trust in him. So let's look very rapidly at these four promises. 
just in verses 6 to 8. Borrowing, I'm borrowing sort of the outline from, from Philip Ryken's commentary on Exodus. So these are his words, not mine. These, these four are promises for which you can be thankful because all these promises, and here's what to keep in mind, all these promises are filled out in the person of Jesus Christ. All these promises are filled out in the person of Christ. So the first one is the promise of liberation. The promise of liberation. Freedom from slavery. Notice the first half of verse 6. Exodus 6, verse 6. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I'll bring you out, and I'm going to deliver you. I wonder if you've ever thought of your position or your status as that of a slave. If you are a Christian, did you ever think of the fact that you were enslaved before you were a Christian? If you were saved at a young age like I was, maybe you've never thought of it that way. If you were older when you became a Christian and you were maybe saved out of a life of sin, you might relate to this language a little bit better. You remember what it felt like to be unshackled from the bondage of sin. And you're now, in the words of Romans, a slave to righteousness. If you're not a Christian, you might not see yourself as a slave either. But just think hard on this. Consider this. You might be enjoying your life. You you might be enjoying all the pleasures of Egypt, as it were. You might even see that that the, that the free, that the liberated life is the life that you are living right now. While Christianity, as you're looking at it from afar, seems to you to be a life of slavery. I would just ask you to consider these truths, that you need to be freed from sin. The pleasures of sin are very deceptive. They are temporal. They will not last. And they have devastating results. Sometimes in this life, but for sure in the afterlife. When you will stand before God and be judged according to how you kept the law of God. If you're found wanting at even one point, even one, you will be judged forever and sent to, sent to that place of conscious, eternal bondage from which there will be no escape. But, in the person of Jesus Christ, in the one who has kept every one of God's laws perfectly, you can receive freedom as you present the life of Christ before God when you stand before him. Jesus said he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. He came to proclaim liberty to those who are oppressed. How did Jesus achieve that liberty? On the cross, by his blood. Revelations 1 verse 5 says that Jesus has freed us from our sins. He's freed us from our sins by his blood. God will bring you out from your burdens and deliver you from sin. Thanks be to God. Secondly, is the promise of redemption. The first is the promise of liberation. Secondly, promise of redemption. End of verse 6. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Now that's a great promise. God will do it. He did it for Israel. He did it for you. Redeem, uh, that might be a little bit of a foreign concept uh, for us, though we might use it sometimes in terms of 
redeeming vouchers or redeeming a coupon. And that's what it is. It's a financial term, but it was most, used mostly back then uh, for releasing and buying slaves where a price would be paid. But in the Exodus itself, God was the Redeemer, and the Egyptians would sort of metaphorically pay the price as God got them out of the way with an outstretched arm. And we'll find out more about how he did that in the next couple of weeks. But when it comes to our sin, Jesus paid the price. Jesus was the Redeemer who paid the price of our sins by his death on the cross. And what a price it was. Pastor Andrew read about it before in in Ephesians 1 verse 7. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's just one in a big list of blessings that we enjoy if we are in Christ. The blessing for which we must be thankful. Thankful for the promise of redemption. Thanks be to God. Promise number three, the promise of adoption. I'm so grateful in our church that we have a number of people in our church, including the herds who are just up here, who have experienced adoption in an earthly sense. And that pictures for us what God has done for his children by faith. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. Children are adopted and they take on the identity of the one who adopts them. And they join that family. Listen to the I will promises there in Exodus 6 verse 7. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now I talk about adoption here because of the word take. God will take them out of Egypt to be his people. He takes them and brings them into his family. What a privilege that is. Not only to be taken out of Egypt, but to be brought into the family of God. We aren't just rescued from something, we are rescued to something. Using this adoption kind of language, we're all orphans in a spiritual sense. We were not a people, but we now, are, we, we, we now are the people of God. And if we belong to Christ, we're given a new name. That new name is Christian. And we are not an only child. We are taken by God into a new family with a multitude of other former orphans. Adopted into God's family with all the privileges and all the rights that come with being sons and daughters of God. These words about us being God's people are repeated in 2 Corinthians and they drive home this great promise for us. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Repeating those same words from Exodus chapter 6. And then I will welcome you. I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Wow. Isn't that fantastic? The the, the promise of adoption. We're no longer orphans. We belong to a family. Thanks be to God. And finally, these I wills will help us to see the glory of God in the promise of possession. Promise of liberation, 
promise of redemption, the promise of adoption, and now the promise of possession. Notice verse 8. I will bring you into the land that I swore. There's the promise word that I swore, that I promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Oh, brothers and sisters, take hold of this precious promise. God is saying to these oppressed, to these doubting people, caught up way over there in Egypt, who feel like they don't even have a chance, he says, I am good for my promise. I will bring you into the promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey, and it's all going to be yours. It will all be yours. Here's what that means for you if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, as your Deliverer. Jesus will take you. He will take all of God's people in the greatest exodus ever out of Egypt and into the promised land, that land of glory. Peter describes it like this in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed, using the same language as Ephesians here that Paul used, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That just means thank you, God. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, undefading, or unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Friend, this is the promise of God. And God has already delivered on that promise in the person of his Son. We already have an inheritance. It is signed with the seal of God himself, but it's not signed with a stamp. It is written in the blood of his Son. It is written in the blood of his Son, and that means you are in promise is yours if you have repented of your sins and are trusting in the blood of Christ to save you. But let me also say, there's still so much more coming. There's still so much more coming. We're not quite in the promised land. We've still got one foot over there in Egypt. But soon and very soon, you will get there. You will get to that place where you will enjoy the benefits of that inheritance that is being kept right now in heaven for you by God. Our dear sister, Artis Falk, was taken there on Monday. Last night, around 8.30, my, my mother was taken there too. And it's all good. <laughs> They have been delivered by God into his presence, into the waiting arms of Jesus, joining all the saints in the land of glory, where there's joy evermore. These are tears of joy. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Friends, do not miss this. If you are not a Christian, these promises are being held out to you right now. But these promises, we have to have the downer side on this, are only realized through faith. There's a strong warning there in the very next verse, isn't there? Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. And so God did, we're going to find out, God did take these people out of Egypt, but tragically, most of them didn't make it to the promised land because of their unbelief and because of their sin. They did not believe in the Savior Listen, they did not believe in the Savior that God had provided. Small s, Savior. They did not believe Moses. Friends, please put your faith in God's better Savior, better than Moses, who is Jesus Christ. 
But for you who have trusted Christ, make sure you are thankful today and every day that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise for all that you have done. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your blessings. You certainly do give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your great deliverance, for the great salvation that you have won for us as you have taken us out of the world where we were lost, where we were blind, where we were floundering, where we were without hope, and that you have brought us into the promised land, that land of milk and honey. Oh, how sweet it is. How nutritious it is. Father, that place of salvation, that place of safety, that place of protection, and you have done all that in spite of our lawlessness and of our sin and of our rebellion. You call us your children by grace through faith. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, how we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend.